Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Hey, put your hand over your heart. Say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship, created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the Word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands. Come on, say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life. And look at somebody and say, y'all are looking beautiful. Come on, tell them that. So glad that you're here, and uh, in case you don't know it and you don't have notes yet, the ushers have notes for you. Today's title is Everything is Beautiful. I brought back the Ray Stevens song, y'all. Everything is beautiful. And you might look at your life right now and say, well, it's not beautiful for me. Well, in the next few minutes, it's going to be in Jesus' name. I gave a word on September 30th, and I want to come back to that during this series uh, because I felt like the Lord spoke to me on September 30th that when the clock struck 12 and it went to October 1st, that according to Deuteronomy 28:12, that God was opening his good treasure from heaven and he was going to pour it out on you. And I'm just believing that between now and December 31st, that good things are coming your way. Come on, good things are coming your way. And you may not be seeing that right now, but guess what? You're going to see it. What we have on the stage are some glass urns. I don't know what you call them, but just uh, I asked them to put these up here because you, uh, each one of you down here have received, or there's a, a little prayer uh, card, and we're just going to ask you to use this. And others of you, you can take your own pieces of paper or at the end of the service, these will be available for you. And I want you to write something good, something good that you're believing God for by December 31st. And then there's going to be a time in our service where I just want you to bring those down here or at the end of the service, just bring those down here and put them in here. I'm going to begin to pray over those. We're going to set them out every week. So just good things that you're believing for. And some of you hadn't even thought like that, but hey, why don't you just believe God for something good, some good treasure that has your name on it that is going to happen to you and to your family by December 31st. Could you put an amen on that? Come on. Here's what we're doing. Every time we say amen, we're agreeing with God. Everything is beautiful. Um, I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3, and um, let's look at what the Bible says. There is a season, a time appointed for everything and a time for every delight and event or purpose under heaven. There is a season. I, I don't know what season that you're in, but there is an, an appointed time by God. What is, what is this saying? That God has a plan for your life. In other words, if, if there's a winter, spring, summer, and fall, if there's a cyclical nature to God, He wants you to know that in your life there are different kinds of seasons. Sometimes, in fact, let's just go to what the Bible says about it. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. 
There's a time to plant and then there's a time to uproot what is planted. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and there's a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear apart and there's a time to sew together. There's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And let me just stop reading the word and just say this to you. What God's trying to tell us through the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, is there's different times in our life. And sometimes we can think that because it's a bad time that it doesn't have some type of eternal purpose. And I can tell you that regardless of where you are in your life and regardless of what season you are in your life, that, that God has a purpose for everything in your life. And I don't know what time it is in your life. I don't know where you are, maybe what you're going through, maybe what you're facing. But what I can tell you is this passage of Scripture is God speaking to us today that not only does he understand the times and the seasons, but he's saying there is purpose in your times and in your seasons. The Bible goes on to say this, and have you ever found yourself ever asking this question? What profit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? Like I'm working, I'm, you know, I'm, but, but like what, what's the real profit? Yeah, I get a check. I love what Josh said, the, the stats that he brought out, that if you make $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. And sometimes we're so focused on what we don't have rather than what we have. We're so focused on comparisonitis. We have that disease. And we compare ourselves with other people or we compare ourselves with the ideal versus the reality. We compare our life and where we are and we think sometimes I should be further along or I should be this or I should be that and we shoulda and we coulda all over ourselves. What profit is there for the worker from that which he labors? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men with which they occupy themselves. Now look at this. He, God, has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. I want to speak to you prophetically just for a moment. I don't know where you are, but here's what I can tell you. It may look like one of your darkest hours, but in time, God's going to make even the darkest things beautiful things, even the ugliest things beautiful things. It's so hard when we're in it to see it. But then look at what it says next in the Bible. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human part. God's done that. There's a longing in each one of you. There's a craving in each one of you, whether you realize it or not. And ultimately, it's a craving for more. You think that you could do more with your life. You think your marriage could be better. You think your life could be better. You think your finances could be better. You think there's a craving for more. Why? Because this is only temporary. And yet God has put eternity in our hearts, a, a sense of divine purpose, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find, find out or comprehend or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from beginning to end. So we're trying to figure it out. 
Like we're trying to figure our life out. We're trying to figure out our season. We're trying to figure out why this thing is happening in our family. We're trying to figure out, you know, why did this go wrong? We're, some, some of us at uh, different times are trying to figure out, wow, I, I, this is all God because I don't know why it's going so good. And by the way, if you've never heard yourself say that, you're going to hear yourself say that in the future. Come on, put an amen on that. So how is it that everything is beautiful when so much of the world is ugly? How is everything beautiful when there's so much negativity in the world? Because we have this assurance that God is the one that has placed eternity in our hearts so that we can understand that in every temporary situation, there is some kind of eternal purpose. Let me say that again. When things are ugly in our lives, when things are dark in our lives, when things are not going according to our plan, it's God who says, I will make everything, not some of the things, I'll make everything beautiful in its time. And oh, by the way, I've put eternity in your heart and eternity trumps temporary. But it's up to you to understand this. Watch this. The Bible says that because God has planted eternity in our hearts, he wants us to understand that every temporary thing has some type of eternal purpose, that every bit of our temporary pain has some type of eternal purpose. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says this, therefore do not lose heart. When you're going through a tough time, when you're going through a darkness, when you're going through a cloud, I flew out of Los Angeles yesterday and as we flew out, you should have seen what I saw from the plane. It looked like the whole city of LA was on fire. That's maybe the way you feel about your life right now. Don't lose heart. Look at somebody right now, I want everybody to do this. Look at somebody and say, hey, don't lose heart. Look at him, say, don't lose heart. This is the Bible. Now listen very carefully. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Here's the message today. God's the one that's put eternity in your heart. So why don't you take that temporary thing right now and say, I'm going to put it in the context of eternity. And by the way, there's another verse, there's another scripture, there's another word from God that says all things, not some things, but all things work together for your good if you love God and you're called according to his purpose and you do and you are. So guess what? God's going to use all things for your good. Put an amen on that. It's so hard for us to see it though when we're in the middle of it. If everything is going to be beautiful, a couple of things. If you didn't get notes, the ushers have got some for you. Just raise your hand. Thank you, by the way, for those that are watching online. Thousands and thousands and thousands every week. Would you give them a hand? Thank you for watching Facebook, Google, wherever you're watching, YouTube. I don't even know all the, but thank you for being, being online with us. A couple of things. Number one, honor makes everything in your life become beautiful in God's time. You might say, how does everything become beautiful? It starts with you. It starts with you giving honor. Let me, get, let me tell you a secret. Honor is the key for everything working in your life. That's why the enemy of your soul wants to get you on the dishonor side of life. 
Oh, you say, what's dishonor? Just turn on the news. Every day. This side talking about that side. And depending on which side you're on, there are the evil ones. It's dishonor, dishonor, dishonor everywhere. So, you know, the name of this series is Tell Me Something Good. You know where I got the idea? Because Google is trying something in the U.S. to see if it works. And they've got this, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but what is it? Google Home. That you can say, Google, tell me something good. Tell me something good. Tell me, tell me, baby. Google, tell me something good. And Google will only give you good news. How many of you are ready for a little good news? Come on. In the middle of some bad news all over the world, there's always some kind of fire, some kind of earthquake. Some kind of people mad about something. Some kind of unrest. And yet honor is what makes everything beautiful for you. So the enemy of your soul, I'm going to expose him right in front of you, is to try to get you into dishonor because this is the way it works. When you give honor, it creates a positive atmosphere. It creates a positive attitude on the inside of you, which brings the blessing of God on your life. When you get into dishonor, it brings negativity, and you literally bring a curse on your life. Sometimes I'm sitting there watching people, and I don't even watch the news. But every once in a while, I just flip across it. And I think, that person doesn't even know it. There's a curse over their head because of what's coming out of their mouth. You see, do you realize that nothing positive happens when you're negative? Not because there's not a lot of negative stuff happening. So how do I, how do I shift? How, do I, how, do I, how can I be assured that everything in my life is going to be beautiful? Don't get negative about what's negatively happening. Don't go with a negative thought process that people have. You say, but it's true. It's negative. In other words, the power that I have is I have the power to be positive. But I cannot be positive if I don't have an honoring spirit. What our world needs right now is not this or that. Our world needs a spirit of honor that starts with God so that he can bring his positive power into our lives and bring a blessing on our lives. You see, all negativity stems from a dishonoring spirit. Well, I'm just a negative person. No, you're a dishonoring person. It's the truth. You can't be honoring and be negative. I tell you what, I just, I just can't stand that person. I, I mean, they're wonderful, but they're an idiot. It just doesn't work, does it? And guess what? I'm the one that decides who gets honor. Not because they're honorable or dishonorable. I don't give honor because somebody deserves it. I give honor because I'm an honorable person. That's how honor is supposed to work. So honor is the one ingredient of life that makes everything in your life work. Well, I'm going to do something today that I've never done before. I just finished a book. And the name of the book is Mamaw's Tenets for Life, T-E-N-E-T-S, Tenets, which means principles. If you've been around here for any period of time, you know that my... Mamma was my hero. She was the one that prayed me back to life after I'd been dead for a long, long time. Uh, 30 minutes, an hour, it's a long time. And uh, front page of the Dallas Morning News, many of you know the story. But Mamma was my hero, and so I wrote this book. It's a parable 
um, with principles. And it's, it's what I'm about to read you is chapter 23 of the book. If you've ever read any of John Gordon's books or the Energy Bus or some of the old school people along with me, uh, if you've ever read Ogmandino, uh, if you've ever read uh, Paul Celio, the alchemist. By the way, if you haven't read those books, y'all need to read them because they're some of the best books you'll ever read. But anyway, I've written a story and this is the story, but this story's true. So I'd like to read chapter 23. Let me set the context for you. I asked my mamaw, I knew she was coming to the end of her life. She was 88. And I asked her on Mother's Day, 1999, she was very sick. I said, Mamaw, I'm giving you a journal and it's empty journal. And I've asked a question at the top of every page and I just want you to fill in the journal, just answer the questions. And so one of the questions that I asked her was, tell me what your greatest memory is at 88. And so basically two months before she died in November of 1999, what I'm about to read you really happened. But here's the story, the greatest memory. That was amazing, Mama. Allen exclaimed. Hey, by the way, let me tell you a secret that nobody reading the book is gonna know. My name is Keith Allen. I am Allen in the story. Okay. <laughs> she had just fed me my favorite meal, by the way, in the previous chapter, which is meatloaf, scalloped potatoes, fried okra, pinto beans, cornbread. cornbread iced tea, and then to top it off, homemade banana pudding. If you're not hungry yet, now you are. Okay. That was amazing, Mama, Alan exclaimed. My favorite meal forever and always. Thank you, honey. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I haven't cooked in a very long time, but I wanted to do that for you. And by the way, that was the last meal she cooked for me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Mom and Dad, I want us all to go into the den. I have a very exciting announcement to make, Alan exclaimed. What is it, Gail? Alan's mother asked. That's what I came over to talk to you guys about. So come in here so I can tell you, Alan said. Gail and Mama came into the den from the kitchen and they sat down on a blue velour sectional couch. Okay, are you guys ready? Alan said with anticipation. Yes, tell us. What is it, Alan, Gail asked. Mom, Dad, Mama. I'm starting a church, Alan said. What? Alan's mother said. You're starting a church? Where? Yes, where, Mamaw asked. In Frisco, Texas. For the next hour, Alan gave all the details about the new church he would be starting. Mamaw listened intently, and then she asked, Is that in Collin County? I think so, Alan answered. Mamaw got up from the couch, and she went to her bedroom to get her journal. As she came back into the den, she was still not wearing her oxygen and she seemed to have a skip in her step. Do you remember your great Aunt Ruby, Mamaw asked? Yes, I loved her and Uncle Jack. I loved how Uncle Jack played the guitar and sang. Mamaw, do you remember the time that when I was a youth pastor and I asked Uncle Jack to come and sing and preach to my youth group, Alan asked. Yes, yes, he loved that, Mamaw said. And all the kids loved him. He was like 100 years old or something, Alan said, laughing. That will go down as one of my all-time greatest memories. Well, let me tell you about my greatest memory, Mama said. You asked me to write about it in the journal, so I'll just read you what I wrote. What you may not know, and I want to stop right here again and say, this is a true story. It happened in November 1999. 
What you may not know is Jack Kitchens was Aunt Ruby's second husband. Alan interrupted, her second husband, Mama? No, I didn't know that. Her first husband passed away. His name was Manzel McKinney. Everybody in McKinney, lean in on this one. She said, let me read you from my journal. And Mamaw began to read, this is word for word. My greatest memory happened in 1932. My husband and I hadn't been married that long. He was going from job to job trying to make ends meet. No one knew that we were on the front end of what would become known as the Great Depression. There were lines everywhere. People lined up to get a job, people standing in lines for food. It was a very difficult time. It was during that time that my husband and I lived with my sister Ruby, Ruby in her husband Manzel McKinney's house in the city of McKinney, Texas. By the way, McKinney was named after Manzel's family. We all lived in what was called the McKinney house. Mamaw continued to read. One night I had a vision. It was a real vision from God. I looked outside and I, of the McKinney house and I could see a ladder going up into the heavens. In my vision, I was reminded of the story of Jacob's ladder and the story in Genesis 28 where he had the same kind of dream. I remember that Jacob saw a ladder like this set up on earth and its top reached into the heavens like in my dream. I remember thinking, this is so real. In Jacob's dream, he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. In my dream in 1932, I saw my family members going up, 11 of them, and I was the last. As years passed, each one of those 10 people died in the order that they went up the ladder into heaven, and I am the only one left, 1999. In Jacob's dream, the Lord stood above the ladder and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. God told Jacob that his descendants shall spread abroad in you and in your seed. All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. He told them that he would keep him wherever he went and that he would bring him back to the land. Then Jacob wakes up and says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In this vision, God spoke to me about my family generationally, that they would all go to heaven and they have. But why did I see it here? Why did I see it in McKinney? Why did I see it in the McKinney house? This was the most vivid vision I've ever had. It is my greatest memory of God showing me something and yet, I only knew it in part because I only know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. So maybe my greatest memory, Alan, is God speaking to me, not just about past generations who've gone before me to heaven, but maybe God is speaking to me that like he was to Jacob about my future generations, that they will bring heaven to earth from here. As she looked up, Alan, as she looked up, she said, Alan, do you remember what the place was called that Jacob had the dream? Alan said, yes, ma'am, it was Bethel. She said, do you remember the name of the church you were raised in? Mamaw asked with a smile. 
Yes, ma'am, it was called Bethel. So then, and you are starting a church in the county that I had the vision in. Everyone in the room paused and pondered. Alan was hearing this vision for the first time from his mamma based on his question in the journal that had provoked her to share it or it may have never been known. Maybe, Mama said, God is bringing my descendants back to this land. Maybe the vision was not just meant to be a great memory, but maybe it was a picture of a great future that God is gonna bring about through our family in Collin County, Mama said with reverence in her voice. And oh, by the way, Manzel's father was Colin. Collin County is named after him. When is this going to happen, honey? Alan's mom asked. Do y'all remember when I was 37 and a pastor friend of mine asked me, do you think if you'll ever, you'll ever pastor a church? Yes, I remember that, Gail answered. And what I told that pastor friend of mine is that I would answer the question when I was 40. So in November of 1999, when I was having this real conversation with my parents, I then told them, so mom and dad, mama, I'm gonna start a church on my 40th birthday, January 9th, 2000. We're so proud of you, Monroe said, my dad's middle name. Yes, we are, Mama and Gail chimed in. Here's what I wanna tell you. When you give honor to God, on January 9th, we started this church in Collin County. When little bitty Frisco was a blip on the map, when it wasn't the richest city in America, when it wasn't the fastest growing city in America, when it wasn't what Times, Money, and Forbes magazine says is the most desirable city to live in in America. In 1999, God gave us a vision to establish a Bethel here called Elevate Life Church, and you are sitting right in the middle of a prophecy that's coming to pass, and now McKinney. My mamaw prayed me back to life. Some of you know the story. She was my hero. And on January 9th, 2000, she couldn't be in our service. She was very sick. So on that Sunday night after our first service, I actually had to wait till the next day, but I went to Emory, Texas, where my parents lived, and I took a VHS of our service. And I said, mamaw, I've got the VHS of our first service. And she goes, oh, honey, let's watch it together. And we watched our first service together. And she sat and smiled and we talked and we ate chicken soup together. And that night she went to be with the Lord. And the last thing on earth that she got to see was a fulfillment of a vision that she had in 1932. Welcome McKinney, welcome Frisco. This is the gateway of heaven. Come on, how awesome is this place? Just wait, you ain't seen nothing yet because when there's honor, God's blessing comes on your life, your family, your children, your grandchildren. So guess what? You gotta stop the negativity. You gotta stop the dishonor. You gotta start honoring because God's got great things in store for your children and your children's children and his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. 
God's doing way more than we could ever imagine. Everything is beautiful in God's time. Here's the second thing. How do we make everything beautiful? Make your cuts make you better. You say, what do you mean? What's cut you lately? What's hurt you lately? What cut or hurt are you carrying right now? You see, here's the truth, and it's on the screen. The things that hurt us the most have the power to help us the most. I said, the things that hurt us the most have the power to help us the most. In the sports world, no pain, no gain. I see my friend Garrett Uncleback sitting over here, Navy SEAL for six years, served our country with dignity. And stand up, Garrett. It's Veterans Weekend. Garrett, how many, how, you, you were in class what of, of the Navy SEALs? Two? Two, eight, six. How many started your Navy SEAL class? Over 200. How many finished? 42. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you for your service to our country. I've seen him grow up. I know him. But let me tell you this. 200 started, 42 finished. What, what is the percentage? Is there a percentage, Garrett? Is that a normal percentage, or was that higher or lower? That's normal. So what is that? Is that a third? Okay, so let's just, let's just stop for just a second. So why do people quit? Because it's too hard. Because they decide they don't want it. Does it sound like marriage? Why do people quit a job? Why do people quit? In other words, it's, we, we, we get on the everything is ugly side rather than everything is beautiful side because we get cut and we get hurt. I got another story for you. This was not out of my book. This is just kind of out of modern sports history. It was 1978. Michael Jordan was just another kid in the gym along with 50 of his classmates trying out for the Emsley Laney High School varsity basketball team. There were 15 roster spots and Jordan then a 15 year old sophomore was about 5'10", couldn't dunk yet. But he had a close friend named Leroy Smith, and Leroy was 6'7". Leroy made the team, and Jordan would go on to say, it was embarrassing to be cut from my team. He went home, he locked himself in a room, and he cried and he cried and he cried. You know, there's a time to cry. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to be angry. There's a time to be upset because you wanted a dream and the dream didn't happen. I'll get back to the story in a minute, but this week I had the privilege of being in L.A. And, and I had the privilege of meeting a young man that for four years he's been holding on to his marriage and she doesn't want it. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't give her a divorce. He just said, I'm just, I'm just believing, I'm just believing. You can judge me all you want as a pastor or as a spiritual father, but I released him from that. I said, it's okay. How long do you hold on? How long has this been going on? It's an old church song. How long, how long has this been going on? You see, sometimes there's a time to cut. I'm not giving you permission to get a divorce. 
What I'm here to tell you is, even in the worst of situations, if somebody doesn't want it, I can't make you love me if you don't. It's another church song. <laughs> I can't make you give your heart if you won't. So guess what? Josh and I spent about five hours with this guy. And he's not only fixing that in his life, but he's fixing some other stuff because that was attached to some other stuff. And he's held on and he's believed. And you know what? Here's what's going to happen. Either he's going to let her know it's been four years and you know what? I just want to release you into your future. Or he's going to say that and she's going to say, I'm so glad you said that. I want you back. You see, once you come to a decision, there's a time to stand and there's a time to let go. Come on, y'all. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about life. I went in my room and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Then he picked himself up and he turned the cut into motivation. Whenever I was working out and I'd get tired, I figured I can't stop. I'd close my eyes and I'd see that list on the locker room door without my name on it. And he said, that got me going again. Jordan using the sizable chip and using his cut for motivation to his advantage, spent his sophomore year on the junior varsity team. Buddy, did you ever play junior varsity? I did too, unfortunately. Your nickname was JV. That's what that means right there. In case you don't know it, your spouse is being immature, just go. You'll know they just went JV on you. This is a JV conversation. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Courtney, don't do that to Josh. I will send him off the cliff. <laughs> Listen to this. He gave his best on his JV team and put up multiple 40-point games. I never did that in JV. I fouled out over and over and over. <laughs> the crowds got so big that the JV team had more than the high school team coming to watch. The summer leading into his junior year, it's crazy. He grew four inches. But you see, watch this. Before he grew, let's just look at a natural supernatural correlation. He put in the hard work. And then his body followed. He worked out whether he was going to grow or not. He said, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to be the best that I can be. And all of a sudden, his body goes, let's go. Ah. I'm talking prophetically to somebody right now. What is waiting on you to do the hard work that you've stopped doing because you're discouraged? That year he made the varsity squad. He became Laney High's best player ever. Averaged more than 20 points a game. Despite having secured a spot on his team, Jordan's work ethic didn't drop off. He just worked harder. His senior year, he averaged a triple-double, led Laney High to the 19-4 record, capped off his high school career by being named McDonald's All-American. And the truth is, the rest is history. I'm not here to 
glorify Michael Jordan, although I'm wearing. <laughs> that leads me to my next point. You see, if you're going to make everything beautiful in your life, God's going to do it, but you've got to do your part. You have to wear your shoes and you have to be a part of a winning team. Why don't you take a look at this? I, I posted this on Instagram not long ago. This is a picture of Michael Jordan uh, with the Chicago Bulls with these shoes on. Except these have, Josh, let me know, an X on them. Now, some of y'all aren't shoe game people. <laughs> this is the game. <laughs> these are nice. The Chicago Bulls stretch, November 21st, 1984, Michael Jordan's shoes had been banned by the NBA. These are now called the Jordan Ones, by the way. A month before because they didn't match the other players' shoes. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like, like your life didn't just match everybody around you? I have. In fact, when I was 37, Pastor Mike Hayes said, do you think you'll ever pastor? And here's, here was exactly what I said. I'm not sure I'm the right size foot to fit in that shoe. He wore them anyway at a $5,000 game fine, per game fine. An 82 regular season would cost $410,000. Jordan only made $630,000. I thought that was such a great story. And then in between the services today, Mr. Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Joshopedia uh, let me know that he didn't pay his own fine, but Nike paid his fine. So thank you, son, for messing up a very good story. Uh, <laughs> You know, Josh, if I ever give any information, you, you know, it's crazy. We, we go to China, we go to Israel, we've got guides. So the guides are doing their thing, and then Josh starts talking, and the guides go, what? That happened here? Yes, it did. I'm not making fun of anybody, son. I'm just giving my best Chinese accent. See, Josh, that's another thing about Josh. He corrects me. Like if, I, like if you're Spanish, I go, Dios la vendega. Hola. He goes, Dad, he goes, Dad, that's condescending. I go, no, 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 man. I'm, I'm, speaking the, I'm speaking the language. He goes, no, 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 no. Always being corrected. Always being joshopedia Anyway, so some of you will be glad to know he didn't pay 410000 but he could have if Nike didn't do it. Okay, back to the story. So... Someone asked me when I was 37, do you think you'll ever pastor a church? I said, I'm not sure I'm that size foot that fits in that shoe, but I'll answer that question when I'm 40. On my 40th birthday, January 9, 2000, I started Elevate Life Church. I want to encourage you today, listen to me, build a shoe that fits your foot. That's what happened. Do you realize, some of you don't know this, but for between 1987 and 2000, we started this church. I traveled in almost every state in America, went to the largest churches in those states. Uh, I spent years and years and years working with churches and pastors all across America, which was a part of my paradigm of me thinking, I may not be that size foot to fit in that shoe. And then all of a sudden I realized that when this pastor asked me, do you think you'll ever pastor? I said, I'm not sure that I'm that size foot for that shoe. And then God put in my heart that I could build a shoe that would fit my foot. Look at your marriage. It's not like anybody else's. Why don't you make it a great fitting shoe? 
Why don't you quit comparing yourselves with other people as it relates to your business and your job? Build your shoe. And if you'll build your shoe, your team will come around you and someday entire teams might be wearing your shoe. And the first $1 billion athlete in the history of sports in America was named Michael Jordan because the mentality was, I don't really fit here. I've been cut. Watch this. I've been cut from what was normal. So I'm going to use that to motivate to go beyond normal. So I announce over you in the name of Jesus that your best days are ahead of you and the best businesses and the best marriages and the best people and the best financials haven't been built yet. And in the name of Jesus, if this place really is the gateway of heaven, if it really is a word from God that in November and December that God is opening his good treasure over us in the name of Jesus, supernatural things are going to happen at Elevate Life Church. Supernatural things are going to happen in your life. Supernatural things are going to happen in your future. You're not going to be needing a miracle. You're going to be the miracle in the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. You see, some of you are sitting here and you say, what's all this hype about? Let me tell you what it's about. God is for you, so who can be against you? God is on your side. Whom shall you fear? You haven't seen anything yet. He says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. Good, not evil, to give you a future and a hope and an expected end. It doesn't matter what happened last night. Somebody needs to hear that. It doesn't matter what happened last week, last month, last year. Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. God's got a great future for you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let me pray for you. Bow your head. God, you say call unto you and you will answer us and you will show us great and mighty things that we know not. So I call on you. You say that your eyes look to and fro throughout the whole earth to see those that are loyal to you so you can put your hand on them. God, I pray today as I always pray, stop in Frisco, Texas. Look at your people at Elevate Life Church. And everybody just put your hands up right now. And God, see their hands. Pick me, choose me. Call me in, coach. And God, put your hand on them to do exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or think. Don't just open the windows of heaven over their life, but God, I ask you to open your good treasure that you've given us a word that in November and December, supernatural things are going to happen. Supernatural things are going to happen. Supernatural things are going to happen. Bow your heads with me. You're hearing, you say, Keith, my life's not right with God. Let me, let me tell you two things. If you're not, if your life is not right with God, listen very carefully to what I'm saying. If you're watching online, if your life is not right with God, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. God has put eternity in your heart. You can resist it. You can deny it. You can call it the universe. You can call it Mother Earth. 
God has put eternity in your heart. You're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. God has put eternity in your heart. But you've got to do something with the eternity. The eternity question. Where will you spend eternity? You might have 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. None of us are promised another day. We're not promised a certain amount of years. You know what we're promised? That the Bible says there's an appointment that every one of us has with death. And we know we've had an appointment with life because we're all here. But nobody wants to think we're going to die, but we're going to. You might have a few more years than me. I might have a few more years than you, but we are all dead meat. But our spirited, that's why we got to get focused on, on eternity. I said, that's why we got to get focused on eternity. So watch this. Have you settled eternity if God has put eternity in your heart? Only you can settle it. To say, God, I want, I want your way in my life, not my way. Only you can settle that. And here's what I can promise you, two things. Number one, if you say I'm not interested in God, then I cannot tell you that everything will be beautiful in your life. All I can tell you is God says in his time, he'll make everything beautiful. I can't tell you if, you, if, you, if, if you're not right with God, I can't tell you that the season that you're in right now, that it'll work out for your good. But here's what the Bible says. All things work together for good to those that love God. He'll, he'll, he'll use this worst thing in your life or this situation right now in your life for your best in the future. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. If you'll settle that eternity question and you'll make Jesus Lord of your life, only you can do that. Everything beautiful starts here. It starts now, right in this moment. And if you're here and you say, hey, I just, maybe you've known God. Maybe you've been a church person. None of that matters. I, I was on a plane yesterday with somebody and they said, I'm not a religious person. I said, me neither. Me neither. I don't want religion. I don't want legalism. I want what you want. I want freedom. I want love. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. I want a great life. We all want that, but we don't get it without God. He's put that longing in our heart for love, for mercy, for grace, for good things, for blessing, for favor. He's put that in our heart, not us. We don't just wish for it. God put it in our heart. So if you're here and you say, I'm not right and I want to get right, that's the greatest thing you can do right now because right here, right now, in the moment you decide, everything beautiful begins for you. So if that's you, on the count of three, slip your hand. One, two, three. Slip it up right now. Say, that's what I want. I need to get my life right. Come on, is there anybody else? Just real quick, just slip it up and I'll see it. Now here's what I want to tell you. Put your hands down. Everybody look at me. I'm going to talk to some couples that are here, some married, some not married, some boyfriend, girlfriend, some living together. I don't judge you, and neither does God. You can just either do it your own way or you can do it God's way. Because you got love. Why do you need a ring? Because it's God's way. Let me talk to couples just for a second. There's some of you that need to do this together. Because the truth is, everything might be okay right now, but unless you get the eternity things settled in your heart, there's going to be something. Now I'm prophesying to you, and I don't want this to sound doomish and gloomish, but I'm telling you, it's true. Those of us that are married, we know. It might be all good right now, but there's going to come a time where it's not all good, and only God can fix it. 
I, I want to I I ask every married person here that knows God, has there been times in your marriage where only God could fix it? Let me just see your hand. And weren't you glad both of you were submitted to God because it would not have been fixed? It would have been okay. It wouldn't have worked. So here's what I want to say to you. I want to talk to couples. One of you right now, when I ask you as couples to raise your hand, I want you to do it together. I want one of you to reach over to the other one and say, we need to get some things right with God. We, we just need to get it right. I'm not talking about living in sin. That might be it. But I'm talking just about your life not being right. Why don't you do it together? If any two of you agree as touching anything on earth, my Father in heaven will do it. So how many couples here, you say, we individually and we need to get some stuff right between God. If that's you, grab each other's hands and stick it up right now. Just real quick, with everybody looking, grab it up and stick it up right now. All over this place. Just get real with it. Get real with it. All right? Now you can put your hands down. Everybody look up here at me. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to put your hand over your heart, just a point of contact. I want you to pray this with me. Everybody McKinney, pray this with me. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for helping me to be everything you've created me to be. I give you my life. I ask you, God, to do what only you can do. Make everything beautiful. In Jesus' name. We're going to do one more thing. Chuck, come over here. Chuck uh, was a guy that we were meeting in a school. What was the year? Uh, 2001. 2001. He comes wandering in with his wife and his kids. And it's in a school. And he turns to his wife and he says, I think this is a church. Pretty much unchurched. I mean, been kind of a church, like some of you. But church didn't mean anything. By the way, that's why I started this church, because I wanted church to mean something. I didn't want it to be your mama's church. So, a couple of weeks later, they came. Been here 18 years. You came from a city that all of them have heard of, but I want you to tell where you came from. I came from Dillion, Texas in Comanche County. Dillion, you've heard of it. <laughs> it's, a, it's an incredible place with a beautiful history. In fact, the history of Dillion was so beautiful that on the outskirts of the city, there was this sign when he was growing up in the 70s. Had the N word, and it said, don't let, your, don't let the sun set on your back in Comanche County. Where are you from? Because that's where he's from. And by the way, that's not a beautiful story, is it? That's where he's from. Some of you are still stuck in where you're from. And that's why your life isn't beautiful, because you're still viewing it through a picture. It may not have that on it, but it's got something else on it. When he came to this church, God began to make everything beautiful and changed his life and changed his family. And by the way, in your wedding. So my best man was black and four of my, four of the seven uh, uh, groomsmen were black also. 
He could have gone through life with issues just like everybody else. How many of you know our country's got issues right now? God says everything's beautiful. When my people get beautiful, everything gets beautiful. So, so, so if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, not just prayed it, but if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want you to come stand with Chuck. You know why? Because if God changed Chuck, God can change you. And I'm going to pray a prayer over you, and I promise you, listen to me, I promise you. Josh, recently something happened very good for our family. And I told you it was going to happen for our family. And I have to do this with my kids all the time. Not because they don't believe, but I just want to make sure they believe. I go, do you believe, son? Come here, come here, Josh. Come here, come here. Do you believe that I'm your dad? I'm your papa. I'm your father. For real. Don't, don't patronize me. If I say something is going to happen in our family, do you believe like it's going to happen 80%? Do I keep my word sometimes? Sometimes I don't. I'm your dad. You're 31. In 31 years is what I say and what happens in our family. Does it happen 80%, 90%, 100%? Just, I'm not asking you to tell. I'm not, we've never had this talk. I want him to answer. Honestly, do not patronize me, son. I am asking. I want them to know because I am a spiritual father too. And if I'm a natural born father and for 31 years, whatever history I've got, whether I'm 90% on, that's still a good, that's still a good percentage. But if I say that it's going to happen in our family, what's my, what's my percentage in 31 years? My memory would say 100%. That's a good answer. You've got a good memory, like a trap. Here's what I'm telling you. When you come forward and I speak over you as a spiritual father in this place, I've got 31 years, I'm about at 100%. And what I say is gonna happen over your life is gonna happen in the name of Jesus. All I can tell you is it's true. So if you made a new decision for God, I'm gonna count to three. I want you to get up. I want you to come down here. I'm gonna speak something over you and everything is gonna get more beautiful in your life. One, two, three, come on right now. Step across who you gotta step across. You come on right now. Come on, I made a new decision for God. Let me speak over you as a father. Let me declare over you and let's watch what God does. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.